And I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Proverbs. Um, We looked at Proverbs uh, chapter 1, verses 1 to 7 last week, which makes sense to begin at the beginning, but uh, I think the best way from this point on for the next few weeks, uh, we're going to be looking at different topics within Proverbs, and we're talking this morning about overcoming pride. You know, I was trying to think of a place where we all struggle the most with pride. And uh, it it led me to think about uh, prayer and our prayer life. If if you were to document your prayer life this last week, what would that look like? Uh, How much time did you spend in prayer, just set aside for prayer? How much time did you spend throughout the week talking with God? Um, I, I think that um, when we are prayerful, we're relying on God. We're, we're saying, we need you, God. We can't do life on our own. When we don't pray, I think that's pride. It's pride that leads us to say, I can do this on my own. I don't need you, God. I don't need to talk to you about this thing. What did Jesus say when, in, in John 15? He said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Um, if you remain in me, you will bear much fruit. For apart from me, there are some things you can do, but you can't do everything. Is that what he says? No. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And so, again, to express that to God by our prayer Again, I think that's an area that we all deal with, with, with pride. Um, last week, we looked at the unique type of literature that the Proverbs are. Proverbs are not commands. Proverbs are not promises. Uh, they are Proverbs. They're unique in their, uh, in their type of literature, biblical literature they are. We looked at the danger of saying that since we follow the commands, we think of them as wrongly as commands in Proverbs, that because of that, we might think we deserve heaven on our merits because we're following what the Bible says. But again, Proverbs are not commands. So we can dangerously lose sight of the grace and the mercy of God. We looked at some of the purposes of Proverbs as we looked at those first seven verses. and, and the way to get wisdom is fearing the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And that fear of the Lord is to worship him, to reverence him, which means ultimately that we have a personal relationship with God through Christ. We looked at the fact that Christ is our wisdom. He is the wisdom of God. And so even the Proverbs ultimately point us back to Jesus. Um, We looked also, we talked also about how in our flesh, if Jesus is the wise son of Proverbs, how uh, we ask ourselves the question, so who's the fool in Proverbs? And we are the fools of Proverbs. When we rely on ourselves and don't rely on God, we tend to do that. Um, And the New Testament, we looked at how the New Testament sheds light on the Proverbs. One of the topics that's mentioned a lot in Proverbs is pride. It's mentioned 58 times 
in Proverbs. Um, we can't talk about pride without talking about humility. And I just want to begin by saying how proud I am of my humility. <laughs> no, uh, not at all. I, I, like everyone, I struggle with pride. Uh, I, I want to be humble, but I find that every time I face a trial, every time I face a struggle in my life that God is trying to wean me from myself and from my pride and get me to humbly focus on him by trusting him in every situation in life. And I have a long ways to go. Everybody deals with it. Um, I know everybody uh, knows that, and it's, it's hard because sometimes we don't know because pride can be so subtle. Pride is focusing the attention on us, on ourselves. Uh, C.S. Lewis said, and this is part of a shorter quote, we're gonna look at the quote in its context a little bit later, but Lewis says that pride is the ruthless, sleepless, unsmiling concentration on self. Um, pride makes you concentrate on everything that has to do with you. So the only reason you do anything is that it makes you feel good about yourself if we're living for ourselves and not for God. Lewis writes, uh, again, uh, on your outline, pride gets no pleasure out of having something, but only out of having more of it than the next person. I, I heard about a salesman who said he closed a number of sales in different communities by saying, let me show you something that several of your neighbors doubted you could afford. That made those sales close. Uh, in one way or another, and this is a, a definition here, if, if you will, pride, and this isn't on the outline, pride is the unhealthy mindset of measuring one's worth by how you rank relative to others. Uh, the priority is on comparison. And what did the Apostle Paul say in 2 Corinthians? He said, do not compare yourselves among yourselves. That is not wise. Our culture What's the cry of our culture? Our culture says, follow your heart. Uh, find your truth. Live according to your heart, your truth. Um, God has definitely giving a, given us longings in our heart. A longing for community. A longing for family. Ultimately, a, a longing for him. Uh, but to follow your heart, and this is on your outline, is bad advice, it's bad counsel, because our heart has been damaged by the fall. We have sinned against God. We are sinners in our nature. There's a real sense where our own hearts are mystery, a mystery to us. It's difficult for us to read our own motives. I think it was uh, Alexander McLengthen, one of the reformers, who said he didn't know if he'd ever done anything from a completely pure motive. If you ever ask yourself, what, what's my motives? I think we always find mixed motives in, in the best things that we do. But when we're left to our own devices, when we, uh, what our longings are from our heart, from our heart, from a human standpoint are pointing us to, it's often self-destructive places. The prophet Jeremiah said it like this on your outline. 
The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? C.H. Spurgeon, a great preacher from England from last, the last century, said it simply, he said, the heart is a den of evil. In other words, left to our own choices, the things that we would naturally choose on our own, we often choose wrongly. And because naturally we don't want what God wants for us. Someone even said you take a principle of the world often and just reverse it, and you have a principle of God. So don't follow your heart. The, the, what we see in God's word is to follow Jesus. And when we follow Jesus, he will redefine the longings of our heart. But, but we follow him. We could say that wisdom and foolishness for us boil down to humility and pride. The, the prideful trust in ourselves is what results, what results in bad decisions. And if we are humble and trusting God uh, for the decision-making, our, our decision-making will be wise because we're seeking wisdom from God, from his word. So I want to read the passage for today that we're going to start with on wisdom from Proverbs 16. You have it on your outline, uh, Proverbs 16, 18 to 20. Let's read it out loud together. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Better to be lowly in spirit along with the oppressed than to share plunder with the proud. Whoever gives heed to instruction prospers, and blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord. This is God's word for us. So in the world, generally speaking, we've said it, everything's about me, uh, but it's not about us. It's not about you. It's not about me. Our, on our own, we don't see the world for what it really is, and we make decisions that mess up our lives when we're not following God. And what we see in Proverbs about pride, first of all, from this passage, number one on your outline, is that prideful trust of self is foolish and destructive. Prideful trust of self is foolish and destructive. Again, what we read just a bit ago, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Another proverb, Proverbs 28, says, whoever trusts in his own heart is a fool. But he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. And so, again, also on your outline, the problem with pride is that it leaves God out of the picture. That's what pride does. It's all about our hard work. It's about our good looks. It's about our intelligence, our talent. We make ourselves the source of all good things instead of God. And that puts us at the center, and God becomes an afterthought, if we even think of him at all. Um, and so apart from God, and this again is on your outline, our logic is polluted by our pride. And the biggest problem is we can't even see it. I'll give you a couple of examples. Um, the world says you should live with your girlfriend or boyfriend before you get married. Uh, otherwise, how will you know if you're truly compatible? God says that's destructive. Apart from the biggest problem of being disobedient to God, uh, we ignore the facts that there are higher, there's a higher divorce rate among those who live together before they get married than those who don't. The world says, get what you want, pay for it later. Spend money that you don't have. 
God says that's foolish. And again, apart from the biggest problem, that it's disobedience to God, it also ignores the evidence that there's massive credit card debt in, in, in our culture. It becomes a heavy burden for people. I don't know if you saw in the news this week, for the first time in the United States, credit card debt across our country passed $1 trillion. That's a lot of debt to be under. Worldly wisdom uh, clashes with God's wisdom all the time. You've got some on your outline. Worldly wisdom says, be stingy and keep things for yourself. Godly wisdom says, give freely and become more wealthy, become more wealthy or gain even more. Be stingy and lose everything. We're called to be generous with the poor. So pause here just for a second. How does that work? How can you give freely and become more wealthy? Well, think of, remember, it's not a promise. Uh, it's, not a, it's not saying go and do this and, and the more money you give, the more money you'll make. That's not what this is saying. But think of, of farmers here. They reap seed, they, they sow seed, and they reap what they can eat. They reap what they, reap what they can sell. And so they're, they're, they sow a lot and they reap a lot more from that. It's in the same way spiritually when we realize that, that our money is like seed. The only way to turn it into real riches is by giving it away. We give it away to, to ministries that are, are focused on leading people to Jesus, leading people to Christ. And, and by giving that away, we turn money into real riches that we'll receive rewards for in heaven. Uh, so the idea is the more wisely you give to ministries dedicated to spreading the gospel, the more your money becomes real wealth in changed lives and keeps on reproducing. It's like Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6. That's the way we store up treasures in heaven. And when you do this, you're walking in the footsteps of the one who was broken for us and in that sense scattered. And, and we come to faith in Christ and, and it, so he could gather us to himself. So worldly wisdom, back on your outline, says if someone wrongs you, hold a grudge and get back at them. Revenge is, is good. That's what the world says. They made a lot of money on revenges uh, in movies, making movies about revenge. Uh, Godly wisdom says, don't rejoice when your enemies fall. Don't be happy when they stumble. Someone said that gloating is just anger waiting for its moment and enjoying it. So we don't gloat. In fact, this is a time when we see our enemies fall that we can examine our own heart and our own lives and see how we're doing before God. Um, worldly wisdom on your outline says money will make you happy and so get as much as you can. Godly wisdom says trust in your money and down you go. But the godly flourish like leaves in spring. So some people trust money for a sense of significance in their lives. But that's something that only God can give us. Only God can give us significance. Money will never give it to you. Lewis Smedes um, writes this. And uh, by the way, I'll just say, you know, when, when, when we praise ourselves, man, I, I think that almost always backfires. It's humble people who will most quickly praise other people. So Lewis Smedes write, writes this, and it's on your outline. He's a professor and psychologist, and he says this. 
um, pride in the religious sense is refusal to let God be God. It is to grab God's status for oneself. Pride is turning down God's invitation to be a creature in his garden and wishing instead to be the creator, independent, reliant on your own resources. Pride, he says, he writes, is the grand delusion, the fantasy of all fantasies, the cosmic put on. Out of curiosity, how many of you have read C.S. Lewis's book, uh, uh, Screwtape Letters, show of hands? Oh, wow, quite a few. Okay, if you have never read that book, that is a great book to read by C.S. Lewis. Uh, C.S. Lewis writes as if, in this book, as if he is a senior devil trying to teach a younger devil how to tempt people. And so you have to understand in the book when he writes, it's from a different, from that perspective, a different perspective. So Jesus is referred to in the book as the enemy, and we humans are the patients. So once you understand that it's one devil talking to another devil, uh, and that we're the patients uh, coming against the enemy, then it, it makes sense. So I want to read this quote, and the quote we mentioned earlier in this context. So this is the senior devil speaking to the junior devil. So you must conceal from your patient the real nature of humility. Let him think of it not as self-forgetfulness, so that's a good definition of humility, but as a low opinion of his own talents and character. It's a bad definition of humility. To thwart the enemy, we must consider his aims. He wants... And this is, again, a good definition of humility. He wants to bring your man to a state of mind in which he could design the best cathedral in the world and know it to be the best and rejoice in that fact without being any more or less glad at having done it than if it had been done by another. Our enemy, you see, wants to turn man's attention away from self altogether toward him and the man's neighbor. Remember, both vainglory and self-contempt equally keep the mind on self. Both can be, therefore, the starting point of some wonderful contempt of other selves, other people, cynicism, and cruelty. Pride is ruthless, sleepless, unsmiling concentration on the self. And when Lewis uses that word sleepless in this quote, he means that pride is like doing endless calculations in your mind as to uh, if, if making sure you're getting the, a fair shake in life, making sure that you're getting what you really deserve, making sure that you're being appreciated. That's what pride does. That's what makes it sleepless in that sense. Everything in the world's way of thinking, again, is following your heart. And, and it's so subtle because we love to be appreciated. But when we live for that appreciation is when it becomes something that is detrimental in our hearts and minds and lives. So how do we overcome pride? How do we journey towards humility? Um, well, from Proverbs 16 that we read out loud together a bit ago, verse 19 says, better to be lowly in spirit along with the oppressed 
than to share plunder with the proud. And taking off from C.S. Lewis's definition of humility in that quote, humility is being precisely, and this is what someone wrote, humility is being precisely the person you actually are before God. And if you have the humility to be yourself, you will not be like anyone else in the entire universe. So humility isn't thinking poorly of yourself. It's not minimizing your worth. It is simply being honest with yourself, being honest with others, who you are before God and who you are in Christ. Who you, what's really going on in your life. Uh, we can take our masks off. We don't need to pretend if we are really humble before God. I, I think the best way that, to describe humility is the way the Apostle Paul does in Romans chapter 12, verse 3. It's not, the reference isn't on your outline, but if you want to write that down, you can. Pro, uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 3. I love it in the Phillips translation. In the Phillips translation, it says this. Don't cherish exaggerated ideas of yourself or your importance, but try to have a sane estimate of your capabilities by the light of the faith that God has given to you. That's humility. To understand that is so freeing. It, to understand that frees us to admit that we're sinners. To understand that means that it's okay. I can, I, I, it gives me a freedom to say I'm sorry. I made a mistake. It gives me the freedom to not have to manage people's impressions of me. It gives me the freedom from having to compete with someone else's status or with their spirituality. It gives me the freedom to do good without needing to, for people to notice. It gives me the freedom to, to let others have their way, to rejoice when someone, when someone else is successful, to rejoice sincerely in their success. Why? Because we know exactly who we are. And there's no one like you in the entire universe. So it's, it's, if that's not the basis for a healthy self-esteem, yeah, I don't know what is. We're freed, and this is on your outline, we're freed from pride when we remember who we are before God and in Christ. So Proverbs as a whole and the verses that we looked at earlier from Proverbs 16 tell us that wisdom is found in humbly trusting God. Are you humbly trusting God? He made the world... He knows how it works. It makes sense that we would follow what God desires. You know, if we could summarize the book of Proverbs, I think, in essence, we could summarize it by saying, trust God, not yourself. We, we could summarize the book of Proverbs by, by one of the verses we read last week, uh, Proverbs 1.7. Uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is this worshipful dependence on God. Worshipful dependence on his word. Or, or, or we could sum it up, if you will, by a, a great verse in Proverbs, one that I know many of you have memorized, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. 
you've never, never memorized it, it's a great one to memorize. Uh, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Or in all your ways, submit to him is the way it says it in the translation you have on the outline. So again, two parts of those summaries, of all those different summaries, are either turn away from, are, are turn away from ourselves and turn toward God. That's what all those summaries are saying. So true wisdom means that I have the humility to know that I don't know everything. That I can always and should always be a learner. Learning from other people around me. Learning from, from God's word. And all of this points me to a personal relationship with God that, that we should have. That is the key to wisdom. And so on your outline, to be wise, we must have this worshipful, humble dependence on him. And that points us to, the, 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 obviously, the word of God. The word of God points us back to Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And he is not just one way to God. He is the only way to God. So in order to fear God, in order to be wise, we have to submit to the authority of God's word. And when it says in Proverbs 3, 6, in all your ways, or acknowledge, or submit to him, that word submit in the Hebrew uh, is a military term, meaning to arrange troop divisions in a military fashion under the command of a leader. And I think there's a great parallel there, is that word submit, because for us as believers, we want to do the same thing. We want to arrange ourselves under, uh, under the command of God's viewpoint, under his commands, rather than living according to our own desires, rather than following our own heart, if you will. It's a process of surrendering. Our lives are like that. Uh, uh, it's a process of surrendering our own will to the will of the Father. So pride is the essence of foolishness. Proverbs 11.2, you have it on your outline. Pride leads to disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. Or like we read earlier in Proverbs 16, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. We never arrive at a point where we're beyond needing to humble ourselves we're beyond needing correction. So the next passage you have on your outline, Proverbs 30, verses four through six, says this. Who but God goes up to heaven and comes back down? Who holds the wind in his fists? Who wraps up the oceans in his cloak? Who has created the whole wide world? What is his name? What is his son's name? Tell me if you know. And then the verse to underline in your, on your outline maybe is this next verse. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to all who come to him for protection. Do not add to his words or he may rebuke you and expose you as a liar. So are you using God's word as a shield for you, a shield of protection for you? That's the way God wants you to use his word. Wisdom belongs to God and to his son. Wisdom is found in Jesus. And like we said last week, he is the wise son of Proverbs. Jesus, Proverbs shows Jesus who is the wisdom of God. But like in verse six, wisdom is also found in God's words, in the word of God. And there's no real knowing God unless you know his word. 
That's why we put an emphasis on worshiping together by looking at God's word and allowing God's word to speak to us. Our worldview as Christians has to be shaped by God's word. It has to be shaped by who God is, by by God and his word, by Jesus, who is the truth. The next thing we see that we need to overcome pride and journey towards humility is number three, humbly follow godly instruction and counsel. Uh, Again, from Proverbs 16, as we read at the beginning, verse 20, whoever gives heed to instruction prospers, and blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord. Or as it says in Proverbs 10, the wise are glad to be instructed, but babbling fools fall flat on their faces. So if you don't want to fall flat on your face, trust God and his word. Be wise. In other words, godly instruction often comes to us through our parents. Godly instruction comes through counselors, through through spiritual leaders. And maybe in our pride we think we're right, but, but wisdom says that we submit to godly counsel that is in agreement with God's word. Wisdom and so humility recognizes that being corrected, and sometimes we need to be corrected. That's what God's word does. Think of, and it's not on your outline, but 2 Timothy 3.16. The word of God is, is, is for our correction in part, for our instruction to make us wise in the way we live our lives. So while we're under our parents' roofs, we submit to them. Proverbs 13.1 says, a wise child accepts a parent's discipline. A mocker refuses to listen to correction. So the fools are ones who think their parents can't relate to them. That life is so different now, uh, and so our parents don't really know what they're saying. That's what we said when we were maybe young teenagers. I like the way Mark Twain said it. Mark Twain said, when I was a boy of 14, my father was so ignorant, I could hardly stand to have the old man around. But when I got to be 21, I was astonished at how much the old man had learned in seven years. It's kind of like the way we think, right? When we were younger. You know, Paul told the Romans in Romans 13 to submit to Nero. Uh, It wasn't that long ago that we were in Romans 13 studying that, but Nero was killing Christians. And yet Paul said to submit to, to the governing authorities. So the Bible is clear. Unless someone over you, an authority over you, is asking you directly to, to disobey God, then you do what they say. A great gift from God is a friend or a mentor who will tell you what you need to hear. Not what you want to hear, but what you need to hear. They'll do it lovingly, of course, but that's a good friend or a mentor. Back in the Garden of Eden, Eve sought wisdom and knowledge apart from God, and it led to death. Uh, It led to sin for all of us. She became the one who determined what was good and evil, and ever since then, we've been trying to do the same thing on our own. We've been trying to determine what's good and evil. You know, according to the National Geographic, uh, the the puffer fish can inflate uh, into a ball to invade its predators. It gets water and air in its stomach and it blows up to about three times the size that it normally is. 
they're not just cute, they are also extremely dangerous. They have a toxic substance in their body that makes them extremely bitter and horrible tasting and potentially deadly uh, if someone would try to eat a puffer fish. In fact, the toxin in one blowfish or puffer fish is enough to kill, uh, th- enough to kill 30 humans. Uh, it's 1,200 times more deadly than cyanide. And there's no known antidote to uh, the, the, the poison in a puffer fish. But like puffer fish, humans have this ability to blow themselves up with pride and the arrogance to make themselves look bigger than they really are. And that happens, when that, be, when that happens, it becomes toxic in a marriage. It becomes toxic in, in a friendship. It becomes toxic in a church. No wonder the, the late Bible scholar John Stott said, pride is your greatest enemy and humility is your greatest friend. So where can we find humility? Well, Jesus. We look to him. Jesus was the one who didn't give in to temptation, who was in the garden and who prayed and said, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. In Mark 14, please take this cup of suffering away from me, yet I want your will to be done, not mine. A friend of mine was telling me recently about his brother and how his brother, who was, he perceived was a strong Christian, was being really disillusioned and thinking about moving away from his faith because God wasn't answering his, his big prayer that he had. And I said to my friend, it sounds like your friend wasn't believing in God, but he was believing in God plus God answering his prayer the way he wanted it answered. So we don't insist to God how he answers our prayers. We submit to God and we say with Jesus at the end of all of our prayers, if not verbally, with the attitude of our heart, Lord, not my will be done. I want your will done in this situation. And even though we don't express it, we're saying by saying that, Lord, I realize that you might say no to the way I'm praying, to my request before you. You might say yes. I hope you say yes. But you might say no. You know, there's a condition on prayer. John, or Jesus gives it to us in John chapter 15, verse seven. If you abide in me, and if my words abide in you, then you can ask whatever you will and it will be given to you. But remember the conditions. And so what, what does Paul say about Jesus? Here's where we find humility. Jesus, being in very nature God, Paul writes in Philippians 2, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, by being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So how does this impact us? Well, Paul, writing to the Philippians, uses this as the argument that follows, and we're gonna read it in reverse order because Paul actually wrote this first, and, and this is what he was begging for the Philippians to do. This is for us, the way we should live our lives. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. 
Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking at your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Selfishness can ruin a church, but humility can build it. And I want you to know, I see humility in you. I'm proud of your humility and and the way you care for others and the way you reach out to others around you. I see that all the time. And and that's that's what builds a church up, is that humility. Uh, We think we're something, but Jesus made himself nothing. He became obedient to the point of death. And just like Jesus showed himself strong by becoming weak, humility is the only way out of foolishness and into honor. And so here are a few practical ways to cultivate humility. You've got them on your outline. Number one, listen actively. Make a conscious effort to listen without interrupting, to listen without thinking of the next thing you're going to say in response. Secondly, practice gratitude. When you recognize that that you're not responsible for much of what happens in your life, it's really out of your control, it, it, it does something to foster humility in us, to give God the glory for what he's doing in our lives. Number three, serve others. Uh, again, we had the ministry fair last week. Follow through with the ideas that you saw. We don't want you to be involved in uh, 10 different ministries, but find one, maybe two, but find one that you can be involved with. We want everyone to be serving in a ministry because we know that it's good for your spiritual health. Um, number four, stay teachable. But, you know, don't have a know-it-all attitude. We're all learners. We all need to be learners all of our lives. And then finally, practice forgiveness. Uh, Let go of grudges. Forgive others, uh, even when they don't deserve it. That can be a humbling act of of grace. And we can forgive others because we know God has freely forgiven us in Christ. Our response to God's forgiveness is to turn away from our sin. The Bible calls that repentance. And turn towards God in faith by trusting Christ alone to forgive our sins. And remember, humility is a lifelong journey. Uh, But it begins with a relationship with God. If you don't have that personal relationship with God, this is the time to start it. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, it is a constant struggle for us to depend less on ourselves and more on you. We know that we can really do nothing apart from you. And so, Father, give us a hunger to know you more in our lives, more intimately. We thank you for the gift of Jesus, that Jesus not only showed us the way to humility, but he died so we could have life in him. We want him to abide in us. We want his words to abide in us. Father, we pray that we would have that same mindset, valuing others above ourselves. Father, we pray for the wisdom to submit ourselves to you, to your authority in our lives, to your word. We ask for grace to forgive others as you've forgiven us. And if there's anyone here, Lord, who has not put their trust in you, or who's forgotten 
what that really means and needs to, they need to rededicate their lives to you. I pray that they would respond in faith and do that right now. In the strong name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Um, so this is from the Apostle Paul from Colossians. Remember what Christ taught and let his words enrich your lives and make you wise. Teach them to each other and sing them out in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing to the Lord with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, let it be as a representative of the Lord Jesus, be giving thanks through him to God the Father. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here. And before you leave, please greet the people around you. Introduce yourself to them.